and welcome to the How CMOs Commit podcast. I'm Margaret Malloy, Global Chief Marketing Officer of Siegel & Gale. This is a podcast to explore how the world's top CMOs are building their brands and the professional commitments they are making as leaders. From the decisions facing CMOs to the commitments they are forging, the conversations are uniquely vulnerable and strategic. Please be sure to listen to the end when I provide my reflections. This is how CMOs commit. Welcome to the UN Global Compact Leaders Summit. This panel will focus on corporate growth and purpose. I am your host, Margaret Malloy, Global Chief Marketing Officer of Siegel & Gale, the branding firm. When it comes to purpose, Aristotle tells us, where your talents and the needs of the world cross, therein lies your vocation. At its most fundamental, I propose that the role of a company is to solve problems for people and or the planet profitably. In 2021, articulating and embodying a compelling brand purpose has emerged as a clarion call for leaders everywhere. Customers, employees, investors, Regulators are all signaling that they will reward the brands that commit to action from social justice to climate change. How, therefore, are global leaders at corporations reconciling this quest for purpose with their growth imperatives? In this panel, I am joined by four executives from companies along this journey to explore the topic of purpose and growth. So panelists, as I introduce you, please answer the following question in one word. When you hear purpose, what comes to mind? And to our audience, this is the run of show. After the introductions, I will have individual conversations with each executive, return to all for the commitments round, and conclude with my reflections. First up, let's welcome Frank Cooper, Global Managing Director and Chief Marketing Officer at BlackRock. What is your word, Frank? My word is soul, S-O-U-L. So, okay, next let's Greece greet Maddie Kulkarni, the Global Marketing Director for Sustainability and Purpose at PepsiCo. My word is social impact. Okay, let's now go to Raja Raja Manar, Chief Marketing Communications Officer at MasterCard and President of the Healthcare Business. Raja. My word will be decency. Decency. And finally, Chris Gray heads ESG at Pfizer. Breakthroughs. Breakthroughs. 
Beautiful mix of words. Okay, so let's begin the individual conversations. Frank, you're first up. You see your managing director at BlackRock, the world's largest asset manager, very high profile and interesting perch. So you said soul. Tell us about that. And indeed, what is your purpose at BlackRock? Sure, Margaret. Thanks for having me here. Look, I realize that the word soul is a strange term to use in the context of business. However, I also believe that people have increasingly awakened to this understanding that business has a profound impact on life, on people and the planet. In fact, I think people have become more aware that the ultimate purpose of business is to improve life, period. That's what business is for. And so as that awareness has increased, it's forced companies to take that inner journey of having a deeper, more profound, more authentic understanding of themselves in their place in the world. And for me, that sounds like soul. Um, and if I go back to an old song by, by an artist a long time ago, Bobby Bird, I know you got soul. You know, it also uh, reinforces this notion that people know it when they see it. It's not about what you say, it's about your actions. And so soul for me in, embodies all of that. And, and I feel like that's at the root of purpose. Tell us about the purpose at BlackRock. So the purpose of BlackRock is, is really simple on its face. And it's to help more and more people experience financial well-being. And, and like many purpose statements, it's really less about the statement itself. It's the interpretation of it and how you live it. And so, so for us, we take that phrase and we break it down as more and more people is about financial inclusion. How do we get, give people more access to financial services and, and the benefit of investing and saving? It's also about financial well-being. And for us, that term is really important. It's not wellness for us. It's not financial futures. It's financial well-being. And it's, it's this notion of taking money and putting it in the same realm as other aspects of well-being. We think about physical fitness and nutrition and mindfulness as well-being, but the source of stress, anxiety, depression sometimes, but also hopes, aspiration, and exhilaration is often tied to money. And so our ability to help people understand their relationship with money across the full spectrum of how you earn it, how you spend it, how you save it and invest it, and how you give it, we believe that there is a, an opportunity, no matter where you play within that ecosystem, to facilitate a greater understanding of that. And then finally, we use the word experience um, because we don't believe this is a one-time action. We also don't believe there's a destination simply called retirement and, and you stop. It's the experience is it's an ongoing process of habits and, and rituals and, and, and beliefs. And, and so we want it to help more and more people experience financial well-being. Frank, what's also very interesting about BlackRock is in addition to your own purpose journey, you have very publicly encouraged other companies to go on that journey through Larry Fink's letters and other means. Explain to us the rationale for that behavior. Yeah, so, so core to our belief is that we want to invest in companies that have long-term value. We think the entire market should be focused more on long-term value creation. And companies that have a sense of their purpose, inevitably, you will start to think long-term because purpose is about an ultimate aspirational goal. Right? It's not about inventing some kind of side hustle. It's not about inventing some kind of a short-term goal. It's like, what is the ultimate goal? If we, were, if we did everything to the best of our ability and capability, how would we advance people and how we advance society? That inevitably puts you into a long-term perspective. We think that's absolutely critical. But there's something even more practical that, um, that every company should, should be focused on that impacts their long-term viability. And that is the social license to operate. Many companies now 
uh, and that we include ourselves in this, uh, have to can question whether the communities are welcomed into their communities or whether they feel like this is some, an adversarial relationship. Purpose helps to give you that, that, that clarity about how you make a positive contribution to society. How do you make a positive contribution to the communities in which you operate? And so it's our belief that, that this shift is happening first and foremost, but that's actually a good thing uh, for business. And the last thing I'll say is this, you know, we've had 50 years of the you know, Milton Friedman doctrine and, and anyone who's gone to business school and gotten an MBA is probably steeped into that doctrine because all the courses flow from that notion that the sole purpose of a corporation is to maximize shareholder return. Very few people, fewer few people, I should say, believe that is true today. And it's not just those who are signing up on a letter. It's really the notion of does the business help advance what we believe we want within our communities, within our societies, as employees, you know, as shareholders. And that has been changing in a really profound way. It's accelerated in the past five to 10 years. What would you say to the corporate executive that says, that's nice, Frank, but I have to focus on growth. It's all about the bottom line. I'd say, look, you're right. You're right. It's all about the bottom line, but the bottom line doesn't mean kind of a narrow perspective on short-term profit. In fact, what we're asking people to do, leaders, CEOs, CFOs, open the aperture a bit and think about the bottom line in a much more expansive way. So the bottom line is not just your quarterly earnings, it's how you're setting the company up long-term. So if there's a likelihood of increased regulation, that's not good for the bottom line. If you can't attract the very best talent and retain the very best, best talent, that's not good for the bottom line. Um, and if your vendors and partners think about you purely transactionally and will not stand by you during tough times, that's not good for the bottom line. What we believe is that purpose and profits are not antagonistic to each other. In fact, profits should be an outcome of purpose. And, and, and Margaret, you said it really well um, at the beginning and how you defined it. It should be an outcome of that. And so what I would say is don't think about it's profit versus purpose or it's purpose at the expense of profits. It's how your purpose, if it's really true to your operating model, if it's really authentic to who you are, should be a driving force for profits within your company. And finally, Frank, what role do you see for bodies like the UN Global Compact in assisting companies on this journey? Well, I actually think the, the, the UN Global Compact has already done a lot. I mean, if you, if you look at the hub, if you look at the local tool, toolbox, if you, if you look at the pioneers that they're highlighting, there's a lot happening. What I appreciate, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, is that the global impact is that the committee is now looking at marketers as a critical component of driving this change. And I really believe that. And it's not just because you know, we're on the, all on the phone here on this call uh, that we're marketers. It's that if you think about what is needed to change behavior, it, it is the stories that we tell. It's how we design experiences. Uh, it's the words that we choose. It's how we, we navigate social media and all the other platforms. It's how we think about data, translate it, analyze it, and transform it into insight and put it into action. This is what marketers do. And so I'm really happy that, that there's been this outreach to, to marketers because I think we can be helpful in accelerating this, this path. Marvelous. Thank you for that, Frank. Let's now go back to Maddie at PepsiCo, leading global food and beverage company. Your word, I believe, was social impact. Tell me about that choice and indeed the purpose at PepsiCo. So I think social impact is the impact you want to make in the world, either on the planet or on society. 
And when we think about purpose at PepsiCo, we're a house of brands to begin with. So we have a corporate purpose, but we also have purpose at our brand's individual level. So PepsiCo, just to ground everyone in our scale, we operate in 200 countries. Our products are consumed over a billion times a day. So when we take on sustainability, it has this opportunity to make a huge impact on the planet and on people. And so our ambition at PepsiCo is to help build a more sustainable food system. Now within that, our brands like Doritos, Lay's, Pepsi, Tropicana, Quaker Oats, each have their individual purpose. And tell me, Maddie, in some of your categories, one might say they're indulgent categories. To, to what degree are consumers caring about purpose? What's your perspective? Is the data revealing anything worthwhile there? Definitely. So we are seeing that sustainably marketed products are growing seven times faster than conventional products in our consumer packaged goods industry. So consumers are rewarding those brands who are leading with sustainability. And I will also point out that there's also an intention action gap as well. So while consumers are saying, I want to live a more sustainable life, sometimes it's difficult to do. Access, accessibility, affordability become challenges for consumers. So as brands, we have to make it easier for them to make sustainable choices. Would you share an example from one of your brands on how you're doing just that? Sure. Okay, I'll I'll share an example on the environmental side and then on the people side as well, if that's okay. So on the environmental side, our potatoes in the UK are 100% sustainably sourced. And we put that now on our packaging. So consumers know with their purchase, they are helping local economies. They're actually helping local farmers in the UK with their purchase because they're also locally sourced by farmers in the UK. Since we are celebrating Pride Month, I thought I'd share an example from our Doritos Rainbow campaign. So this is a campaign that we've been running since 2015, celebrating LGBTQ rights. It started with us creating rainbow colored Doritos. And every single year since then, the campaign has become more and more meaningful. A few years ago in Mexico City, we did a campaign to celebrate the transgender community. And we did a packaging takeover of our Doritos bag and profiled images from our transgender community members. One of the packages featured drag queen persona, Nina De La Fuente. She was actually a character from our packaging designer within PepsiCo. And it was an opportunity for, for him, Vicente, to share that part of his life with his colleagues, with his coworkers. So I love this, this campaign because it not only shows that PepsiCo is championing LGBTQ rights, but it's actually living those values within our company as well. So that makes me very proud. To what extent are you seeing a connection at the brand from purpose to growth? Well, like I just mentioned, the sustainably marketed products are the ones that are growing. So that's definitely where we want to lean in. And when we're taking a lot of effort to make sure that the crops we use are sustainably sourced, we're empowering farmers within our community, we're making a positive impact within our value chain. We're taking all of these efforts to, to help that consumer make a sustainable choice. Are you seeing difference in consumer preferences across geographies? Definitely. So in certain pockets of the world, some consumers have sustainability embedded into their lifestyle. Take Western Europe, 
take Germany, take the UK. But there are some countries that are now beginning their sustainability journey. And I would put the US with our disposable economy within that category. And then there are some companies or countries in between. So the way we communicate depends on where that consumer is on their sustainability journey. And have you had a chance to reflect on the SDGs and how they contribute towards your sustainability agenda? Yes, actually, given the vast nature of our business, we touch all 17 of the SDGs. But when we did an audit of our brand campaigns that were purpose-driven, we saw that they were, we were leaning in on six, zero hunger, gender equality, responsible consumption and production were three, the six that you know, we've been leaning into heavily. And we want to continue focusing on those so that we can drive scale and impact. But it's been a great framework for us to, to think through where we want to lean in and focus. Okay. Thank you for that, Maddie. Let's now go to Raja at MasterCard, a global payment technology solutions company. And I should say at this point in time, Raja is the author of the Wall Street Journal bestselling book, Quantum Marketing. So with all that perspective, Raja, you offered me the word decency when asked. Tell us about that thought process and if you would, mapping it to MasterCard's purpose. Yeah. See, I'll start with a small, uh, simple analogy, right? If I'm sitting at a table with a feast laid out in front of me and some lean, small, hungry kid is standing there, starved, what would you do? That tells you what your decency quotient is, whether you have some or not. If you focus on yourself, keep gorging the food, ignoring that little child out there who is hungry, that is self-serving, self-centeredness. And what we believe is you have to be decent, which means there has to be a sensitivity to people around you. And it comes also with the responsibility. It's a privilege to be able to have all the resources at your disposal. But that privilege comes with a human obligation, a basic decency to share it with other people, to support them, to help them. Not because it will lead to profits. There are a lot of studies which show that purpose-driven ones, brands or companies outperform profits. Even if they underperform, I would still say you have to do it because that's the right thing to do. It. That's a decent thing to do it. Hence, I say it's about decency. It's a different matter that there are a lot of studies which show, you know, you'd be more purposeful, your profits are higher. I studied a lot of them. The causal relationship is not very evident, but I don't care. You still go ahead and do it because it's the right thing. If it is a happy coincidence that things will uh, know, uh, have work in tandem, that's great. But you have to be sensitive to others. You have to do something about the plight of other people. You just cannot be self-centered and purely be in the pursuit of profits. And I think Frank was mentioning before, when you know, at one point in time, it was all about shareholder value maximization. But that's so short-sighted. And it's so, I would say, it's less humane. Let's put it that way. Tell me, how does a company like MasterCard settle on where to focus in terms of your purpose? So what we said is, firstly, we don't want purpose to be a politically correct statement for the CEO and the C-suite to look good in various forums such as this. Nor should it be a statement that is there for the annual reports. So it's not about political correctness. Either you believe in it and live it, or don't pretend. Because if you fake it, people will see through you, right through you. So don't even go there. 
So what we said is, what would be our purpose? And it was very well thought through and it was co-created. What we said is, it'll be all about creating priceless possibilities for people. It's connecting people to priceless possibilities. It's people as in everyone, not just the privileged, not just the underprivileged. It's across the board. Everyone needs help. For example, something like cancer doesn't afflict only the poor people or the rich people. It's horrible across the entire spectrum. So we have taken, for example, finding cures for cancer as one of our objectives. And we have already got seven drugs that have been discovered and FDA approved through our partnership with an organization called Stand Up to Cancer. We said we'll do our best to help fight hunger. And in fact, it's pretty fascinating when I was seeing Maddie and Frank in terms of what their goals are. There is large amount of similarity and overlaps. Right? So when we looked at, uh, when Maddie said ending world hunger, we said we will actually help alleviate hunger to the extent that we can, but we wanted to focus on more the children. So we've partnered with World Food Program, which is also a part of United Nations, and we started feeding people. So on an app, we have probably crossed 130 million meals to date to underprivileged children. Or we go into areas like financial inclusion, which again, Frank was mentioning, and uh, it was fascinating. The way we look at financial inclusion is it is people who don't have access to the financial system. Their cost of borrowing is the highest. They have absolutely no recourse to anything at all. They don't have any fallback options. How do you bring these people? And we have a massive network as a company. We have 2.2 billion consumers. We have got 60 million merchants. We said, can we actually bring the power of this network and the banks that are our clients, about 60,000 of them, can we bring the power of the network to financially include these people? And we have actually taken it upon ourselves that we will get 1 billion people included into the financial system. And I believe if my number is right, we have already there about 500 million to date. And we try to create a sustainable infrastructure where these people who are so far deprived of any access to the financial system are able to gain access to it. So what we try to do is the whole idea is in the old days, we used to say, does this brand have permission in this space? Or will it look completely odd? The key thing is, if you approach with sincerity of purpose and sincerity of action, then you have permission to do good anywhere you want to. But don't keep beating your chest and say, I have done this, I have done this. That will completely dilute the whole thing. It will all be again about self-service. So this is how we started approaching, and hence we'll find a diverse set of objectives, started gender balance, LGBTQ. So we are doing, and each one of these, we put our heart and soul. It's not just like touching things at the surface. One, uh, 10 seconds I'll take on LGBTQ, for example. We created a card called Shoe Name Card. What happens is today, when a transgender person goes to a shop, gives the card, the name on the card does not match with the looks of the individual. And the shopkeeper looks at them as though they have stolen the card or something fishy is out here. And these people, they feel extremely insulted, insecure, harassed, et cetera. So we had a team member who actually transitioned and came up with this idea. Why don't we print the name that the individual desires as opposed to the legal name? We started exactly doing that. We called it the true name card. And you should have seen the kind of impact that it is creating. And not just in the US, but it's around the world. And uh, it's very gratifying. And to Maddie's point, this makes the employees of the company as well feel fulfilled. And even though we may not be the highest paymasters, people love working for the company 
because they feel they are not just earning money, but they're doing a service, which is fantastic. And I really feel proud about that. Well, thank you for sharing that card, the true name card, folks, if you'd like to check it out. Raja, if you could concisely help us reconcile, I'm very mindful of your choice of word decency and the motivations for that, but reconcile growth and purpose. How do you have the conversation with peers in the C-suite? Very pragmatically. So firstly, nothing is going to happen if I were to stand alone and jump up and down. I can cry horse, nothing is going to happen. There has to be an emotional buy-in from the top of the house and at the C-suite. When collectively we embrace that, that's when things will happen. So the key thing is in, in our case, like you know, for example, Ajay Banga, who is now the chairman, but mm-hmm. before he was the CEO, and he was the one who came up with this whole notion of decency quotient. Normally when you're hiring somebody, you talk about IQ and EQ, right? The intelligence quotient and the emotional quotient. He said, but the equally, if not much more important thing is decency quotient. We need decent people working for the company. And then when he starts living that reality on a day-to-day basis, and the rest of us on the C-suite are exactly doing the same thing, before soon, that becomes part of the cultural fabric of the company. So it's not just marketing standing and saying we should do it. In fact, we co-created this whole purpose statement and the agenda for the purpose, because there was also a lot of confusion between what is cause marketing and what is purpose-drivenness. We simplified it in two sentences. We said your purpose is your North Star you are guided by it. Your cause marketing is your roadmap, which drives you towards your purpose. And with that kind of a framework, we just went ahead and, uh, you know, and people once, you know, people at heart are generally very good. Even if they want to play politics, even if they are competitive, at heart, they are generally very good. And when they see that goodness is rewarded within the company, there's no incentive to be toxic or political. Yes, I think we all want to believe that, that people are fundamentally good. And speaking of good, entities like the UN Global Compact, what role do you see for them in supporting companies on the journey? I think they should be a phenomenal catalyst. They're already doing a ton of excellent stuff, but I think there are many, many, many more things that they could do. Convening, I think, you know, tapping into the marketing community is going to be a huge opportunity and they have to do it because as marketers, we know how to tell stories how to create the right emotion, how to get the people to move, to act, to do things, right? And therefore, I think this is the community which can make a humongous amount of difference and working together with the CEO community because you do need their commitment and involvement and blessing. It can be an incredibly powerful team in any company between the CEO and the CMO. They can make a difference. And that's what I think you know, organizations such as the United Nations, uh, you know, they, they should actually convene them and facilitate these discussions and probably even recognize, you know, because there is nothing is as good as a positive reinforcement. Everyone needs a pat on the back and a recognition. So give institute awards, institute all kinds of things, and let's to celebrate companies which are doing these kind of good things. Shine them as examples for others to follow. Create playbooks for you know, and also have partnerships. You know, it doesn't have to be. For example, if Maddie and Frank are working on the same initiative like I'm doing it, we don't have to do three different things. Probably, if we come together and actually have a partnership, the impact can be much more than one plus one plus one is equal to maybe five or six. So I would say those are the things which should be facilitated and sparked by the UN bodies. Thank you, Raja. So let's now go to Chris Gray at Pfizer. So Chris, uh, 
a remarkable year for the company. And perhaps unsurprisingly, you chose the word breakthrough. Tell us about your purpose and how this year it manifests itself. First, thanks for having me join the panel today. It's great to be here and hear from my esteemed peers. It's great to hear their stories. But to your question, let me begin with some relevant context. We launched our new purpose, Breakthroughs That Change Patients' Lives, soon after Albert Burla became our CEO in 2019, not too long ago. We worked to transform the company so that we could truly live and breathe this purpose respond to people's health needs, inspire and engage our colleagues. And when the pandemic hit one year later, this allowed us to respond quickly. And in a way that we had never, could never have imagined when we put our purpose into place one year prior. First, our CEO was immediately able to issue a five point plan that laid out ways that we were going to harness and share our scientific expertise and capabilities to combat the crisis. Second, our CEO challenged our teams with some moonshot challenges, asking our vaccine development team to, in under one year, come up with a vaccine solution. And as you can imagine, our scientists were at first pretty dubious, given the normal 10-year development timeline for a vaccine. Same was true for our supply group who were asked to find a way to produce and transport at Arctic temperatures, millions, if not billions of doses of a vaccine that had yet to be even finalized. Ultimately, these groups and people across the company found a way to make the impossible possible. And simply put, it wasn't business as usual. For many colleagues, we were seeing firsthand what it meant to really be a purpose-driven company and our achievements to date required this moonshot challenge and our colleagues responded. Chris, can you speak to the role of governance, specifically boards? What role do you believe boards should play in this conversation around purpose and growth? Sure, ESG governance and governance around purpose must begin with the board and the board and the management team must be on the same page. The board is instrumental in really setting the tone of accountability. Management must then translate that into a culture through our values and through our corporate strategy. And board members themselves are part of this journey. Shareholder proposals tied to purpose and ESG issues are on the rise and board members are increasingly being held accountable individually and as a group for not being more assertive and holding management to account in really acting on, measuring, and communicating about how we're achieving our purpose and how we're holding ourselves accountable to our stakeholders. And so board members should be asking themselves, you know, they see the external uh, environment changing. They see the societal expectations rising for our companies. They need to ask themselves, are they asking the right questions of management? Are they getting the right data to meet these demands and responsibilities. I know you've had some collaboration with the UN Global Compact. I notice you're wearing the pin. Uh, What role have the SDGs played in the conversations you've had internally and externally at Pfizer? Right, well, the UN Global Compact plays an important bridging role between the United Nations, 
industry partners like Pfizer, MasterCard, PepsiCo, and the public sector. And how they do this is by translating the global goals, which, you know, 17 goals, 169 targets can be complex for anyone, but they have to translate that into a corporate lexicon that business leaders can A, understand how this SDG agenda, this 10-year agenda relates to their business. They need to be able to identify how they can drive progress and operationalize it across the enterprise. And third, to report against the progress in a very transparent way, in a way that is understandable for both the business and our colleagues and the external stakeholders who are are absorbing this information and then responding. And if companies aren't able to translate the SDG goals and targets into commercial metrics, key performance indicators, I I don't think the private sector's contribution will reach its full potential, but I think the UN Global Compact is helping companies to to translate that language and to put it in a context that, that makes sense for our business. Okay, well, thank you for that, Chris, and to all your colleagues at Pfizer for everything you are doing for all of us in this time. So let's now go round to the top of the order again and reflecting on what we've spoken about already, I'll ask you a two-part commitment question, beginning with Frank. So Frank, what is your commitment to linking purpose to growth? And how do you hold yourself accountable? Yeah, so look, I mean, our commitment to linking purpose to growth is to is really basically not to isolate purpose, not to put it in a strategic silo and run it through everything from strategy to hiring to retention of talent to supply chain. So put that in practice. What you should see over the next coming years is a, an expansion and acceleration of our marketing and investment in sustainable uh, products. So sustainable investing has been the fast, much like Maddie was saying earlier, sustainable investing has been the fastest growing area for us over the past year by multiple. And so we're going to increase that. Um, but there's a second piece that I really want to um, harp on, and I would love the help of others on this call. And that is this notion of financial inclusion is going to depend a lot on financial literacy, but financial literacy in its current form is highly ineffective, does not work, moves behavior by 0.1%. But what if we got together and started to reimagine financial literacy and applied some of the things that we're talking about here, apply you know, modern storytelling, social media practice, building community. Some of the, the seeds of it already out there, I'd love to gather together and take everyone up on the offer to, to collaborate because I think we can do a remarkable service to the world if we got together to do that. And so finally, Maddie, the way I measure it is a really simple metric for me of all of this when we talk about purpose, it's how many people have we helped and by how much. It's really that simple. And there are a bunch of metrics underneath that that we use to really identify whether we're moving in the right direction. But the kind of macro analysis is how many people have we helped and by how much. Okay, thank you for that, Frank. And uh, you all heard it first here, an invitation to collaborate around financial literacy to our panelists and audience. So Maddie, let's go back to PepsiCo. Same question. How are you committing to linking purpose and growth and holding yourself accountable? So our growth at PepsiCo depends on innovation, right? So we now have this innovation tool 
called sustainable from the start. All of our major innovation now, we analyze our carbon footprint, our water footprint, and our packaging footprint. So when we grow, we're growing in a purposeful and intentional way. And another way we hold ourselves accountable is by stringent reporting. Every year, we have a sustainability report. Every few months, we are updating our CEO on our progress. Not only our CEO, our PepsiCo board as well. So we take reporting against our commitments very seriously as well. Thank you, Maddie. Let's now go back to Raja and MasterCard. Commitment to linking the growth and purpose and accountability, Raja. So what I would say is the motto that we have got is that you do well by doing good, right? Which is your pursuing uh, purpose and that will also lead to profits. That's, That's a common expression that we use. From a marketing perspective, we actually say that we want to be a force for good and force for growth. And that's exactly what we are trying to bring to life day in and day out with all the necessary KPIs. We are monitoring them very closely. We are seeing good movement, which is also reinforcing the good behavior. And we are sort of on that path. The commitment is to continue as fast as possible on this path to make as much of difference as possible. Same question, Chris. Link commit linking the growth and purpose. How do you think about it? And how will you hold yourself accountable? I think purpose and growth comes down to our employees and how aligned they are with the purpose and, and how they see that translate in their day-to-day action. And some people can be very aligned with the purpose, but decide for whatever reason not to translate that into action. I think formally embedding goals, whether they're related to ESG or global development or whatever you want to define it as, into colleagues' objectives and into their targets and their compensation plans. That's what I think is going to drive growth and change the behavior and the decision-making on a day-to-day basis for our 78,000 employees across the company. My commitment I've already made to incorporate these types of goals into my own professional development Every semester, which is how we measure ourselves is on a semester basis, like students sometimes. But I think what I more importantly, I'm working with our human resources team to advance linking ESG objectives with annual incentive, the annual incentive plan for colleagues across the organization. And that means coming up with the right metrics that will incentivize the right behavior change and drive that type of performance. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Chris. And in thanking all of our panel, here are my reflections. This conversation traversed many areas, from identifying purpose to achieving alignment, to embedding purpose in growth and everyday decisions, to the SDG framework and how the UN Global Compact can help companies set and achieve goals. In listening to this panel, it is clear to me that the opportunity for CMOs and other corporate leaders is to profitably build brands that reflect and shape a more equitable and resilient people, society, and planet. 2021 is a transition year. It presents a once in a generation opportunity to reset 
the purpose-growth relationship. Inspired by this conversation, I offer that to achieve this reset, leaders must first make three mental model shifts. One, from pause to portal. The health, economic, environmental, and social justice crises are not temporary interruptions that we need to survive in order to return to our pre-pandemic lives. Instead, they are opening a new door to re-examine purpose, to make new commitments, to forge new relationships, to unlock new growth possibilities, this time with a long-term orientation supported by near-term actions. Two, from a few tribes to multiple stakeholders. Leaders need to move beyond shareholder primacy and customer obsession to intentionally taking into account all stakeholders. Sustainable growth comes, in listening to the panel, when we recast purpose, not as a marketing artifact, but as an operating principle and a means to unleash and capture the gains from innovation, galvanizing talent, driving customer preference, attracting investors, being a good neighbor and community member, and reimagining ecosystems where private, social, and government sector collaborate. Three, from monuments to movements. Brand building is no longer about static words and pictures. It's about experiences and actions. A brand's success is a function of the narrative it creates to inspire people and the summation of all the interactions people have with a brand. Ultimately, the ambition shifts from a brand existing purely in an extrinsic context to rousing a sense of membership in all stakeholders. When a brand's purpose connects with people, it engenders loyalty, relevance, and advocacy. Growth potential for the corporation follows. The perspectives shared today by the panel have heightened my conviction that purpose-led brands can be catalysts for positive environmental and social change and at the same time drive corporate growth over the long term. My conclusion, a well-lived corporate purpose is a force multiplier. It amplifies inclusive growth. On behalf of all of our speakers and the UN Global Compact, I'm Margaret Malloy, thanking you for joining us. Thank you for joining How CMOs Commit. 
You've heard the strategic insights and professional commitments of top brand builders from around the world. I hope you also enjoyed my reflections on how this conversation is relevant to all marketers. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcast or your favorite podcast app. And please rate, review and share this podcast. Until next time, this is how CMOs commit.